0: guys can be seated. Give it up for our worship team. Awesome. Hey, so super excited about tonight. Don't worry. Never mind. He's gone. I'll scoot this over just a little bit. So uh, something, first of all, that I wanted to highlight for you. News of, uh, News of Revive is really getting around. Um, so I, I, you probably don't know this, but there is a group of people in this room who traveled over six hours just to come to Revive tonight. They're my parents. And so, if you guys could give it up for Shane and Jill Evans. Really, quite the trek. Just to come to Revive. Can you believe it? It's crazy. Hey, um, so... I've really enjoyed the opportunity to walk through this Colossians series with all of you guys, and tonight we're going to be finishing up chapter 2. So turn to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 16, and we'll get to that in just a second. Um, something that I have realized when it comes to uh, preaching a lot, right? Um, so I get, I get an opportunity to preach often, of course, to you guys and then at different uh, environments and things throughout our church, and one thing that I've noticed as I've been uh, preaching more and more is that things will happen in my life. And it's like, as soon as they happen, not, not everything, but certain things, as soon as they happen, you kind of go, that's going to be a sermon illustration one day. And I'd like to share one of those moments with you, if that's okay. All right, so a um, couple months ago, actually, it was about a year ago, um, last, last fall, um, me and a, a good friend of mine, uh, his name rhymes with Mac Fleming. Mac and I were at church, uh, he was helping me out in the office one day, and uh, we were looking for something for Revive, I think we were looking for Revive signs, like you know the things that we hang out or hold up in, on uh, First Impressions, and um, we're looking for those, and we're down in this area of our church that we call the tunnels. Now what you need to know about the tunnels is that anything that like our church owns that we don't use anymore goes in the tunnels, so think like Antique Roadshow kind of thing, like you, you roll up into this place, you don't know what you're going to find. And so we're searching through everything. I'm kind of on this end uh, of the room. Mac is over here on this end of the room, and, and I'm looking through things, and he's looking through things, and we're trying to find these signs, right? Well, it's not too long into our search that I hear this, like, weird clicking noise. I'm like, Mac, I look. Mac's, like, leaning over some shelf doing something. So I kind of go back to, to looking for whatever sign or whatever I was looking for. And I hear him go, oh no. What Mac had done, that clicking noise that I heard, was a pair of toy handcuffs, you know, like little plastic toy handcuffs. And um, Mac had like closed them on his wrist and he couldn't find the little toy, like the release latch to get out of the toy handcuffs, right? And so I go over to him and, uh, you know, of course, like any good friend would, I make fun of him for a second, and I don't help him. Uh, and then I, uh, you know, start looking around on the handcuffs to try to find uh, the little release latch. Come to find out, those are real handcuffs, like, like made by Smith and Wesson with a sheer, like police handcuffs. Here's the problem: there's no key in sight. So um, I have a small slideshow for you. Um, because I wanted this well documented, so this is Mac and I walking through the hallway of our church, headed back to my office, trying to figure out how in the world we're going to break him out of these handcuffs that are very real. Okay, and so we start making our way to my office, and uh, we find our, this is end of the workday; people are starting to head home. We find the student pastor, uh, Josh Martin, and so we tell Josh about Mac's fun predicament, and um, Josh is like, "All right, no problem. We'll go on YouTube. We'll get some paper clips." We'll figure out how to bust them out of these handcuffs. Can't be that hard. Like an hour later, we learned that you're not getting out of handcuffs with a paper clip. I don't care what the movies say. like It's just not happening, okay? So there's also, I think, a, a picture of us. Well, that's Mac being sad in our office. And then go to the next picture. This is us working. That, that went on for about an hour uh, as we were trying to figure out how to unlock the handcuffs. Well, what we realized that we had to do as we had no other choice. I'm, I mean, I don't understand, I don't know if you understand the situation that, like he's not getting out, there, there's no way. So we're like, we gotta call the police. <laughs> and so sure enough, uh, we, we call the police. And um, here's the fun part about it. We made Mac do it, okay? So here's that video. He or report, press one, press one the jail, do it for him to get his hand. Hey, this is Mac, this is Mac Fleming. Um, I've seemed to have a predicament here. I found a what I thought was a fake pair of handcuffs, and I put them on, and they seem to be not fake. And so we've tried putting a paperclip in them; they won't work. Thank you for calling the Hall County Sheriff's Office. All right, you can uh, you can you can either go back or go forward. I'll tell you the next part of this myth was us waiting for the police to arrive. For uh, about thirty minutes. Turns out, when you lock yourself in a pair of handcuffs, there are like other things that somehow are more important than that, and so they're out there, you know, fighting crime, and we're just waiting for the police to arrive. Um, so we wait for a little while, and sure enough, they're on the way. And then I, I remember it was so funny. It was like blue and red lights just over the horizon. Here they come, and so we walk out to meet them. You can go to the next picture. Uh, there's Mac uh, getting freed uh, by the kind officer who. Believe it or not, not amused at all. Did not think that this was funny. Um, I, I was like, hey, do you mind if I video? He was like, looked at me. He looked down at Mac, or looked over to Mac, looked down at the handcuffs, and just kind of shook his head, and then started unlocking him. And then you can go to the next picture. <laughs> freedom. Now, here's where I knew it was going to be a sermon illustration. Mac experiences freedom. He's, he's out of the handcuffs. That thing behind him is a 75-foot tall cross that just so happens to be at the front of our church. It's like if you've ever been to our central campus, it's huge. And uh, it was at that moment when I realized that Mac was freed at the foot of the cross (laughs) that it was going to be an incredible sermon illustration. So tonight we're going to talk about freedom. And uh, ironically, just like in this story, our freedom comes through The cross, And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. As we finish up the second chapter of Colossians, we're picking up where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about what it looks like to have a firm faith. And uh, Paul's really clear as he's writing. He basically says, hey, if you want to have a firm faith, uh, it's not all about what you do. Matter of fact, if you want to have a firm faith, uh, it's built on a firm faith is built on not what you do, but what you believe. And so we talked about that last week. Well, really what Paul is going to do starting this week and moving on through the rest of the letter is he's going to start to get really practical. We've talked about a lot of like deep theology throughout uh, the letter up to this point. We've talked about a lot of things that you should believe. And Paul is finally going to start to make that turn. Uh, and we're, start, we're going to start to talk about in light of what we believe. What should that look like? How should it manifest itself in our daily lives. And so what's going on here in the Colossian church uh, is that many people uh, thought that, there was, uh, that their relationship with God was really all about what happened on the outside. And Paul knows that this is a problem, and he's going to come along and say, hey, I, I think you're really confused in this. See, your relationship with God is not just about what takes place on the outside. It's not just like about the things that you do. See, Paul says uh, to the Colossians, we'll see in just a second, what you've created is religion. And Jesus is not after religion. Jesus is after, if you want to follow him, he's after a relationship. And so Paul is really going to try to drive this home in this little section that we're going to read tonight. Paul's basically going to say, because of the cross, you have been set free from having to prove yourself through religious activity. And so tonight... What, what we're going to do is we're really going to talk about the difference between religion and relationship. We're going to talk about the difference between religion and relationship. And if there's one thing that you, that you walk away with tonight, it's this. It's very simple. It's Jesus sets people free. So let's read in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16. Paul writes, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. that is from God. Let's stop reading right there. What we're going to talk about first tonight is religion. And that's really what Paul writes about here in that little section of verses. Paul is really getting at what the heart of of what religion is. See, what he does here is he points to this list uh, of things that all have something in common. Did you catch that list? Uh, He he talks about things uh, like What you eat or drink he uses a fancy word called asceticism He talks about worshiping angels It's this list of things and he says whether it's worshiping angels whether it's asceticism, which is just like extreme self-denial It's like what a what a monk would do, you know go into seclusion deny yourself or whether it's what you eat or drink Don't let anybody judge you Don't let anybody condemn you now these things sound really weird to us but in the Colossian church at that time, this would have really resonated with them. Because if you remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about this belief that had kind of infiltrated the church of Colossae. It was a belief called Gnosticism. You guys remember Gnosticism? Gnosticism? That's how you spell it. Um, Gnosticism was really all about this idea that there was a secret knowledge when it came to knowing God. That, like, you could know God. But if you really wanted to get on the varsity level, there was like this special revelation that would set you apart. And the way that Gnosticism often manifested itself when it came to your relationship with Christ was you would do certain things to emphasize that you were set apart, that you weren't like some JV Christian, but you were the real deal. That's how how it often manifested itself. And a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times the things that people would do to show how how set apart they were, how different, how spiritual they were, were things that we talk about or that Paul talks about in this list. He, he, they would do things like uh, they would not eat or drink certain things at certain times of the year, whether it was like a, a harvest or a festival or, or a new moon like Paul talks about. They would they would literally not eat or drink certain things. At certain times of the year, they would do things like, uh, we talk about asceticism, extreme self-denial. They would deny themselves in, in, themselves in crazy ways. They would worship angels. And, and the point of that was to make themselves look sophisticated. Like they, like they really knew uh, something that the rest of the Christian culture did not know. And see, a lot of these things that, these, that the, the Colossian church would use to set themselves apart... lot of these things were rooted in the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law, it's this this thing that was given to the people of Israel. They were given this law code to follow uh, in order to be made right with God. But here's the thing about the law. It was just a shadow. You see, Paul uses that word. He he says these things are just a shadow. The, The law was just a shadow. It just pointed to the fact that we desperately need a savior. You guys ever seen like a, a horror movie where there's one of those like cool camera shots that kind of focus in on a shadow as somebody comes down the hallway? You know, it's like the camera focuses in really clearly. The music's going crazy, like the crazy violinist, and it's all building up, and you see the shadow closer and closer and closer, and it's designed to, to scare you, right? Like to kind of stir something inside of you. Why? Not because shadows are scary, right? Like we use this this term, like they're scared of their own shadow. That they're that's ridiculous. It's not about the shadow. The shadow is simply pointing to the fact that something is coming. In this case, not something, but someone, Jesus. That's what the law was. It pointed to the fact that there was a savior that was on the way, and his name was Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying, don't get caught up in the shadow get caught up in the substance. He's saying, don't pretend that the thing that was supposed to point to a savior is the savior. And you might go, well, how does that affect me? Because to be honest with you, I don't really think I worship angels. I'm not really into the whole asceticism thing. And um, I kind of just eat or drink what I want whenever I want. You know, it's a good life, right? Well, While this was kind of the way that this problem manifested itself in the church at this time, in the same way that people then confused shadow and substance, so do people today. When we think that following Jesus is more about religion than a relationship. And and let me tell you, this is something that is very prevalent in our world today. We see it very often. A lot of times we see it uh, in that people will judge others. Because of some sort of uh, religious activity. Let me give you an example. I can remember whenever uh, I, was, I was younger, uh, I was probably like early middle school, and um, I remember I was spending the night at a friend of mine's house because we were going to do something at the church that he went to the following day. Now, he went to a church that um, you know, I had never been to before, and, and it, was a, it was a good church, Uh, but I remember we were doing some, it was like a camp or something, so we spent most of the day outside. We were playing sports, like basketball, things like that, and I remember halfway through the day, we ended up going inside of the sanctuary to pray, okay? So we end up in the sanctuary, and uh, we're standing in a circle, and we're about to pray, and I remember very vividly, I'm standing next to uh, a couple of my friends are on either side of me. My friend who I spent the night at his house, his church, his mom is on this side of him. And then the like, lead pastor of this church is on the other side of the circle. And um, I remember we were about to pray, and the lead pastor is like, all right, let's pray, you know, something along those lines. And um, he locked eyes with me and just kind of stopped and just waited, and I'm like, Yes, And so, you know, I'm I'm going, what is, what? I picking up that something's not right. And so I started looking around to like my friends and I finally meet eyes or lock eyes with my friend's mom. And she like looked at me and then her eyes got really big. And I was like, what have I done? She reached over and she took a hat off of my head. You know, we were outside, we were playing all day. And so I had a hat on in the sanctuary. Now, this was a big deal to this guy, like halted everything, kind of made me feel crazy uh, for the fact that I had a hat on in a room like this. And and let me just say from the get-go, is it wrong to take off your hat to enter a church building or to pray? Not at all. People do it out of respect and uh, following tradition, and they, they do it out of a right heart. So is there anything wrong about it? Absolutely not. It becomes wrong when you judge others based on those traditions and assume that they're sinning or, or doing something wrong because of it. Because here's the thing. If our God can raise the dead, then when we go to pray to him, he can hear us through a little centimeter of new era on top of our head, right? Like, that's just kind of how I, I really think he can. And so I, I totally understand the sentiment. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it. And, man, I totally support it. But it becomes wrong when we judge other people for it. Let me give you another example. I remember, so last week, we're out at the park. We're out at, um, you know, Hancock Park. We did, had our big cornhole tournament and all this different stuff. And uh, so I did something kind of edgy last week. I don't know if you picked up on this. I wore shorts. Literally, people came up to me at the uh, end of the service, and they were like, hey, didn't realize you had knees. That's kind of crazy. And um, so, yeah, I, I wore shorts. Now, there are, some, there are some churches where if I stood on a stage like this with an open Bible and wore shorts to preach, there'd be like church members charging the stage trying to rip the microphone out of my hand, uh, not letting me say another word because I'm showing my knees in God's house. Again, it's the same thing, right? The, the argument there is, well, you wouldn't wear shorts if you were going to visit the president of the United States, so why would you uh, not, why would you uh, not wear pants whenever you go to preach God's word. And, and listen, I get that. First of all, you don't know what I'd wear if I went to meet the president, so just have that. But also, uh, the thing is, the president is not my heavenly father, who I talk to uh, on a daily basis or at least try my best to, who tells me and tells us, come as you are, right? And, and so again, I get the sentiment it's, it's not bad to, to dress nice. Like this is, this is a high calling to preach God's word You should, you should totally, uh, the, the, the action of it should match the, the intensity of the occasion, right? I get the sentiment. It's not bad to dress nice when you go to church, but it's bad to judge someone based on what they wear when they walk into a church building. You see the line there? You, You see what I'm getting at? Like, religion, tradition, it can become a a huge fault when when we step into what I would call legalism. And and we want to make sure that that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, that it really is based on a relationship and not just based on religious activity. Here's an easy way to remember that. Just because it's smart for you doesn't mean it's sin for someone else. Just because it's smart for you doesn't mean that it's sin for someone else. Uh, think about it like this. Like if, uh, if you were raised in, man, a, uh, let's say a, a Southern Baptist church. Many of you guys, I talk to you guys. I, I know that that's the kind of church that you were raised in. that's the kind of church that I was raised in. Awesome. There are all kinds of traditions and things that go along with Southern Baptist church. They preach sound doctrine. But listen, if, if you have a friend or a group of friends that go to a church that is a different denomination, that still preaches the gospel. That that still preaches sound doctrine with an open Bible. Uh, loves Jesus. Does everything that they can to follow after Him. There's no reason to judge them because they go to a different denomination of church than you. Just because it's smart for you, doesn't mean it's sin for someone else. That can go. Uh, it can go across the board. It can go with uh, like entertainment, right? Uh, the way that like the things that you would go, man, that that should be off limits to all Christians. There's no way. Rated R. Absolutely not. Okay, just because it's smart for you doesn't mean it's sin for someone else. Can you cross that boundary? Absolutely. And we, 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 we must make sure that when it comes to fellow believers that we are doing the job of holding each other accountable to Scripture. But we can't cross the line into judgment. We can't, uh, we can't cross the line of basing a relationship with God around religious Activity Just because it's smart for you doesn't mean it's sin for someone else. We never want to get traditions confused with theology. We never want to get traditions confused with theology. You know, we can so easily get to that place. But I'll, I'll tell you another area where religion can trip people up. It's not just in the way that we judge other people. But it's also in the way that we judge ourselves. Like a a lot of times, religion, like uh, religious activity, is the way that we judge ourselves and and our own relationship with God. Uh, You know, I feel like I see this more and more today. There there are, you, you get to a place where maybe you have people who, when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, you just think, man, I am killing it. I read my Bible, I pray every single day. I am plugged into a small group, two of them. I go to church on Sundays. I go to church on Wednesdays. I, I, not only that, I serve in the kids' ministry. I do, 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 do all of these different things, all these good things. But oftentimes, not all the time, oftentimes what can start to happen in the hearts of people like that If you were to do a deep dive into what's really going on in here, those things are not a natural reaction. Uh, They're they're not an overflow of a life connected to God. They're checking things off of a to-do list, right? It's not, man, I'm so in love with the Lord that I need to open up my Bible and and I want to learn more about Him because because I am hungry for Him. Like I I, I thirst for God's Word knowing more about Him. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to read my Bible today. I can't believe I left the house before I did that. I got to make sure that, that I do it before I take this big midterm, or else all of a sudden, I, like, I'm going to fail the class. There's a big difference there, right? It's because you see the Christian life as a to do list. And with each check, you think you get a little bit closer to God. But that's not how Christianity works, that's how every other major worldview works but it's not how christianity works right i have my ladder here you're probably wondering are we about to change the light bulb or something um so here's how every other major religion works right i'm gonna try to do this and not fall because boy that would just ruin the illustration um the way that every other worldview works is that you have to do things to earn your way to god right so like let's take for example uh like muslims right you have the five pillars of Islam, and, and, and so if you follow the five pillars of Islam, then, then you are earning your way towards God. You're, you're ultimately getting to a place where hopefully you get to, to enter into paradise one day, right? Take uh, Hinduism, for example. They look at life through the lens of karma. If I can do enough good things, if I, if I can earn my way towards God, right, then maybe when I get reincarnated, I'll I'll have it better off. It it might be Buddhists, right? Buddhists uh, do the same thing. They follow this thing called the eightfold path. And if I can follow the entire eightfold path, then one day I'll reach enlightenment. We do the same thing when it comes to, I'm not going any higher. We do the same thing when it comes to religion. When when we fall into this religious mindset, when we try to earn our way to God through the things that we do, y'all taking pictures of me? I'm just messing with you. you You try to earn your way to God, right? That's, that's what we do when we default to this religious mindset. We think that a relationship with God is all about religious activity. It's like every check of the checkbox is one more step up the, lot, up the ladder, a little bit closer to God. Here's the truth of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is that it is not our responsibility To step by step try to earn our way up to God. The good news of the gospel is that our God stepped down and came to us. That God sent his only son Jesus to us. We don't have to earn our way to him. We don't have to do enough things uh, that someday hopefully we can measure up to what we've been called to. God sent his son Jesus down to us so that we could accept his free gift of salvation and be made like him. It's not about earning a right to be with God. It's about the fact that that has been given to us in the form of a free gift through Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. Following Jesus is not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's that Jesus worked to get to us so that we don't have to work to get to Him. So many people work and work and work to get to Jesus, to, to do enough things to get themselves to God. But the, the incredible news of the gospel is that Jesus already satisfied that work. He worked to get to us so that we don't have to work to get to Him. We talked about religion. Let's talk about relationship. That's what religion looks like. But what, is, what does relationship look, look like? Read in verse 20 with me. It says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all things that uh, perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's talk about relationship. That's what Paul is, is getting at here. He makes it very clear that when you begin a relationship with Jesus, something changes. Paul says in, in, in verse 20, he says, if you're with Christ, you, you died to, or in other words, you are set free from the things of this world. You, you've been set free. You're no longer walking around in bondage, right? You, you have been set free. And before we know Jesus, we're, we're not set free. We're enslaved to the things of this world. We're enslaved to sin. We are held captive uh, by the enemy. We have no power to defeat or resist sin in our life. And because of our sin, there's this great divide. This chasm, this, this uncrossable gap between us and God, b- between a sinner and a holy, sovereign God of the universe. And because of our sin, there is no way across that chasm, that divide. And you might say, well, I, I, I don't know that I've ever made that decision to follow Jesus. But to be honest with you, like, I really don't feel enslaved to anything. Matter of fact, life is kind of going okay. Like, I don't feel like I'm a slave to anything. It's funny that you say that, because in John chapter 8, Jesus has a very similar conversation with his disciples. Jesus says something in John chapter 8, verse 31, that's a pretty famous verse. He says, uh, basically, hey, if you know the truth, then uh, if you know me, then you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To which the disciples look at Jesus, and they're like, hang on a second, Jesus. We're sons and daughters of Abraham. Like, we've never been enslaved to anything in our life. And Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 34, it says this Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In other words, every single person who has ever made the decision to break a law of God, whether it's a small lie, whether it's a big uh, consequential mistake. Right, if you have made the decision to, to break God's law, to go against God's word and what he commands for you, if you have sinned in any way, according to scripture, you are enslaved to sin. There's nothing you can do to cross that divide, to, to span that chasm. There's nothing. The best shot that you have is to hope that you can do enough good things, which according to God's word are just like filthy rags. You can do enough good things to to maybe cross that divide. And I'll just go ahead and tell you what you're going to do if you get to the end of that search is you'll realize there's not a thing you can do. That is an uncrossable divide. It's something that in our sin, there is no way for us to cross. But the good news is that God We don't have to earn our way to him. That God sent his son down to us. That 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 gave us a way to cross the divide when Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. So Paul says in these verses, he says, you've been set free from a life that uh, is about religious activity. He says, if you died to the things of this world, in, in verse 20. If you've died to the things of this world, why then do you still follow the religious systems created by the world? Don't taste, don't, uh, don't touch, all, all of these different things. See, there was once a time in your life when you were enslaved to sin with, with no way to help yourself. We talked about that, but because of the love of a heavenly father that you, that you did not deserve and could do nothing to earn, because of a love like that god sent his son to die in your place and unlock the chains that held you captive is that not exciting to you guys like that is that is absolutely incredible news see what that means is that following jesus is no longer based on activity it's based now on identity it's based now on the fact that that if you make the decision to place your trust in Jesus, that your identity changes. You're no longer enslaved to sin, but you're a child of God. Uh, following Jesus, a relationship with him is not based on activity. It's not based on all the things that you do. It's based on your identity as a child of a son or a daughter of the Most High King. In, in the book of Matthew, Jesus teaches this exact same lesson to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are a group of people that maybe you've heard about before, uh, but their kind of M.O. is that the Pharisees are all about putting on a good show. They are all about trying to make themselves look impressive. Literally, when it comes to the Pharisees and their relationship with God, they create rules, like human rules, like that that they made up. And they would follow those rules to try to make themselves look extra spiritual. And then if you didn't follow those rules that they made up, they judged you because of it. I mean, the, Pharaoh, or the Pharisees are, are a, the spitting image of the religious mindset. They're exactly the thing that we're talking about. And, and what Jesus says to the Pharisees, uh, he basically tells them, that is not how a relationship with me works. L- let me read it for you. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and plate. You you clean the outside. But inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean." Jesus says, a relationship with me, it's not outside in, it's inside out. It doesn't start from the outside, you put on a show, you do all these things, and then then you start to look a little better on the inside. That is not how this thing works. Jesus says, no, I'm here to change you from the inside out. And so if the way that you try to go about this thing is to make yourself look all great on the outside and just hope that you'll buy into that lie on the inside, you're not getting anywhere. That's religion. But Jesus is here for a relationship. See, I think we often fall into this mindset. Maybe for you, like the way that that looks, you come to Revive every single Thursday, every time that the doors are open to Christ Place or whatever church you go to, you walk in there, got your Bible in hand, you're serving, you're doing all these things, and the reason that you're doing all of these things is to make yourself look good, to try to make it look like you've got everything all together, and, and, and maybe it's for other people, but maybe it's just for you, so that, that one day, if you, can, if you can do enough things, you'll convince yourself that, that you're starting to become more like Jesus. That you'll convince yourself that you've got everything all together. And that that is not at all how this thing works. It's not outside in. It's inside out. That's what Paul talks about in, in verse 23, right? He says, these things, they have an appearance of wisdom. So to everybody else, you could look like you have it all together. But you know what Paul says later on in that verse? Not only do these things have an appearance of wisdom, Paul says, They they are of no value. None. Works done for Jesus with a a heart that is not for Jesus are of no value, according to Scripture. He's after your heart. He's not just after your hands. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He's not just looking for you to be a good follower of some religion and try to, to take all the steps to get closer to him. Paul says, putting on a show may make it look like you have it all together, but it's of no value. A relationship with Jesus changes you from the inside out. The way that Jesus would say it is, when you clean the inside of the cup, the outside takes care of itself. We're after a relationship. You you don't do all of these religious things to try to get close to Jesus. What's supposed to happen is is that Jesus comes into your heart, and, and over time, you start to fall in, more in love with him, and you do these things not, not because you're obligated to, but because you just can't help it. It's a natural byproduct of a life connected to him. That's, that's the difference between doing these things for religious gain and doing these things in light of a relationship. It's inside out. I'm going to invite the band back up. We are tonight spending a lot of time talking about a very serious problem. The problem of of doing everything for religious gain. Not for a relationship, but for for religious gain. And I wonder if you were to really examine your heart. If you were to stop tonight and, and not just Make this another one of these nights where, where you come and you, you, you hear some good stuff and you're like, all right, I feel good. And you charge back into the world and then, you know, things look the same or look, go back just to the way that they were 24 hours later. Tonight, I want you to really stop and examine your heart. And I want you to ask, which way do I lean? Like, am I more looking for a relationship or have I been chasing religion? Have I been chasing activity, or have I been chasing identity? Which is it? Which one are you in? Are you you building religion, or are you building relationship? Are you stuck in this rhythmic, mechanical, systematic, legalistic, going-through-the-motions kind of Christianity? See, if you're in Christ, the good news is that you've been set free from that. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer enslaved uh, by the world. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 has one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. But then it says this, now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. See, I wonder if there's not some people in here tonight that... Yeah, you've made that decision, and you are free, but you're living still in bondage because you're in pursuit, not of a relationship with God, but but some religion where you try to earn your way to God. Where do you land tonight? Are you in a place where maybe you don't judge yourself on religious activity, but you judge others? You hold other people to certain traditions that, honestly, you've created yourself. They're not in here. If that's you, I mean, how could your love for other people look different if that was the case? I, I would assume tonight, too, that not only are, are there people in the boats that we just talked about, but I think also tonight I mean, there's probably people in here that y- you don't know Jesus. Like, you're, you're realizing for the first time tonight that what you've been doing your whole life, you thought you were following Jesus, but but you were really pursuing some religion. And if all you've ever done is tried to earn your way to God by the things that you do, you don't don't have a relationship, you just have religion. And that's not what Jesus is after. If you want to get to him, if you want to cross that divide, it's a relationship with him. And that comes through placing your trust in the work that he did for us on the cross. Paying the punishment for our sin that we could not even come close to paying and settling the score giving us an opportunity to spend eternity with him in heaven and so here's what i want to do tonight it may feel a little weird for some of you we've done uh you know similar things before but i really want to spend just a moment praying for two groups of people and here's how i kind of want this to go i'm I want to know, and I don't need like a stand up, and it's, it's me, just a simple hand raise will do. I want us all to bow our head, close our eyes, no one looking around. And if you would say, man, I am in that camp where I have been spending so long pursuing a religion over a relationship. I'm not saying you don't have a relationship with the Lord. I'm saying... If you have made religion more of an emphasis than a relationship. Not that you don't trust Jesus. Not that you're uh, not going to heaven spending eternity with him one day. But yeah, I fall into that category where I have placed activity over my identity. If that's you, I would love an opportunity to pray over you. And I would just invite you to slip your hand up. It's not like, hey, I'm not saved. That's not what this is. Hands all over the room and heads bowed, eyes closed, all over the room. Let me pray for you. And then I want to pray for another group of people. Father, if I was sitting in one of these seats, I I would, just like all of these students, have my hand up as well. Lord, it is so easy to fall into, uh, God, this, this trap of doing things to check off a box. God, not out of uh, not out of a, a relationship, but out of some obligation. And Father, I pray tonight for myself for all of these students that we would come back to simply chasing after You, to the simplicity of the gospel. That this would no longer be about religious gain that it would no longer be about trying to earn our way to you because, God, you sent your Son to us for the very purpose of us not having to do that. So, Lord, I pray that we would trust in that. I pray that you would change hearts tonight. I pray that we would break out of this cycle, that you would do a work, Holy Spirit, one that only you can do. I pray that you would move in power. In your name I pray. Amen. There's another group of you. And heads bowed, eyes closed. Sorry to have you in the dark for so long. There's another group of people. And I think for for this group of people, again, I would love the opportunity to pray for you as well. For this group of people, man, you are in the camp where you've never made the decision to place your faith in a relationship. Your whole life has been about religion. And you would say, I have never. Made the decision to place my faith in Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you to the back, call you down in front. Just want to see, slip your hand up. Just a simple hand raise. And I would love the opportunity to pray for you as well. Awesome. Let me pray for you, Father. Lord, thank you so much for these that. Tonight came to the realization that they've been pursuing a religion, that they haven't been pursuing you. And Lord, I pray tonight that they would not leave before having a conversation that that could change the course of their life forever. God, that they would make the decision before they walk out these doors tonight to place their faith in you and the work that you accomplished through your Son on the cross. Lord, we love you. And God, we're so grateful for the way that, that you came to us and didn't expect us to come to you. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, listen, y'all, I want to I invite you to stand. If you're one of those people that just raised your hand, I'm going to be down front, and I, I would invite you to uh, come on down. I'd love to have a conversation with you about what it looks like to place your faith in Jesus. If now's not the time after the service, I'll still be down here. I'd love to talk to you. But here's what we're gonna do. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song called Simple Gospel. It's about the simplicity of the message that you've heard tonight, the fact that we don't have to earn our way to Jesus because Jesus came to us. And if you're in that group of people where you would say, I- I'm making the decision tonight to pursue a relationship. I'm, I'm no longer gonna place my faith in a religion. Then tonight, I wanna to invite you to sing at the top of your lungs because this is such a simple gospel.